Welcome back to the Dope Ass Souls podcast. I'm your host, Emma Murphy. And in today's episode, I'm interviewing Dana Lerman. I met Dana at Rhythmia last year in June. And Dana was a physician in infectious disease when she first arrived at Rhythmia. And now she does assisted psychedelic therapy with ketamine. She's based out in Colorado. And I just love how open and honest Dana is in this episode and really shares from her heart. Dana talks about how psychedelics can really be the key to helping you start unpacking all the necessary crap that we don't need to carry around and how they can help you see things from a different perspective and move your life in a different direction, one that's more aligned with your true self. So here it is. I hope you enjoy this episode. So hello, Dana, and welcome to the Dope Best Souls podcast. I am so excited to finally have you here. We've been trying to do this for a couple of months, so thank you so much for taking the time out because I know you are extremely busy with a lot of things going on, especially with the kids as well. You've got a whole There's family a life going, going on. on. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here with you, especially, so um, thanks for having me. No worries. So let's get right into it. I guess the last time I saw you was when we left Costa Rica and you and Danny had left and parted ways and said goodbye. So I want to know what's been going on for you. I know you, your background is in infectious disease. So can you tell me a little bit how you went from infectious disease into psychedelics or plant medicine? What was the journey that sparked your interest in it for it? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's an unusual story. Okay. <laughs> um, so I was an infectious disease physician for over a decade. Wow. And I was really struggling from some serious burnout towards the end, um, uh, right before COVID actually hit. I was looking to open another company or, or open a company. And I was just really kind of exploring other opportunities outside of the hospital. The hospital was really feeling very confining and restricting and also really was a very depressing place for me. Mm. Um, and it was hard for me to even identify it because I was doing it for so long. Yeah. But now looking back, when you see um, people struggling every day, all day, and a lot of patients I would feel pretty helpless with. Uh, I could treat their infections, but I knew that I had this feeling that there was something deep inside there that I couldn't access with anything that I had. Uh, and I felt a lot of helplessness. Mm. And so then coronavirus hit. And then I kind of got dragged back into the hospital because I felt like I had this moral obligation and a duty as a physician. I signed an oath and I was going to be there for my clients. So, and my patients, obviously. And, um, that was really intense of, of an experience. My hospital, uh, in Colorado here was one of the first hospitals that was hit with coronavirus. Oh, really? So we had, yeah, we had, uh, young, really young people in, uh, in the ICUs on ventilators. And we, we didn't really know anything about it at the time. We weren't wearing masks in the hospital in the beginning. Um, and then, they initiated a policy in our hospital where only one physician and one nurse could care for a patient. And the specialists were not allowed to be a part of that care team that goes into the room. So then I said, well, okay, I'm going to, well, I don't need to be in the hospital to do this work. I can do this work from my home. I can call the, my patients on the phone, read their laboratories, put my notes in the computer. Um, 
And so I worked for at least three to four weeks from home, managing coronavirus patients, talking to doctors. It was some of the hardest work I've ever put in as a physician. It was nonstop working, yeah. talking to people who couldn't breathe and were terrified. And we didn't really know what to do and how to manage um, these, these patients. And then I was also suffering because I was a regular human in the world and I couldn't, yeah. I was worried about my family and my friends and I, I wasn't, you know, going to my yoga and I wasn't doing anything that I would normally do. So my life was totally upside down. And then um, the COVID numbers started to come down in my hospital. Um, and I decided I was going to start a COVID consulting company. So because I was an entrepreneur and I wanted to be out of the hospital and I wanted to do something that would make yeah. a difference. And I figured I had this skill set, might as well. So a friend of mine and I formed a, a, a COVID consulting company where I, I was flying around the whole country doing business risk mitigation for these different companies and uh, providing COVID testing nationally. Wow. Uh, so that became a really... Uh, lucrative and important mm. and big industry that was really, um, I was very surprised actually where it all went, mm. but I was really dedicated to that and dedicated to my patients. If anyone tested positive in our company, I personally would call them and walk them through what that looked like and was a resource for them. I think that that was pretty well received. Wow. Um, and then I felt like, well, holy shit, I'm an infectious disease doctor and I'm not like in the hospital. So I felt a lot of regret about not being there. And I was seeing my colleagues doing all this really hard work. And I was like, you know what? I need to help. I need to go do that. Yeah. So I had some colleagues out in California that were really struggling and hadn't had a day off in months and hadn't seen their families in weeks. And um, so I flew out to California uh, at Los Alamitos and I worked there um, for a good solid week. I had to come home because I had my own family, mm -hmm. but that was some of the hardest work I had ever done in my entire life. And some of the most awful things I had ever seen uh, as a provider were just patients uh, dying alone. That was one of the hardest things to see. Yeah. And just elderly men reaching out for their wives and crying and just terror, sheer terror. And not just in the, for the, for the, patients, but the hospital staff was just cracking. Yeah. I mean, just cracking. So, I mean, there were morgue trucks outside of these places and it was really just a very wow. dark experience. Yeah. And yeah, so never, never worked harder. Mm -hmm. And then came back to Colorado and really started to think about what it is that I want to be doing because COVID was breaking me down. And I started reading about psychedelics. I started hearing about in the news, all the different things that are out there. And so I, I learned about a, a psychedelic assisted therapy training program um, here in Boulder, actually. And I signed up for it. I was just like, I'm just going to do this and just see yeah. where that takes me. And then soon after that, I learned about Rhythmia, <laughs> the ayahuasca retreat where I luckily met you. <laughs> And all of a sudden I found myself mid pandemic in Costa Rica, uh, drinking ayahuasca and, you know, as an infectious disease, like type a control freak of nature that I was mm. going down there in and of itself was wildly unusual. But I mean, you know, we're, we're sitting there in a group of a group of people yeah. 
and being being spit on by shaman. It <laughs> is not a COVID friendly thing. Yeah. And so that um, what I brought into that space, mm. I was really I was not as prepared as I would have hoped I was, but I think I also was just as prepared as I needed to be to get yeah. what I needed to because I showed up there with my type A doctor bitch personality <laughs> and and I and my doctor part of me fought mother ayahuasca that whole first night of that journey. Yeah. And I it was so obvious um, what was happening. Mm. It was my it was my ego and my doctor part of me that that first night I even was talking to myself, quizzing myself about infectious diseases. I was saying, do you still, do you know how to treat MRSA infections? And then I would answer and I would say the different antibiotics. And then <laughs> it, it, because that part of me really yeah. needed to know that it was still in charge and that there was nothing that was going to uh, take over. Right. Wow. Was, it was, it kept saying like, I'm the only doctor here. And I called her doctora, uh, <laughs> mother ayahuasca. I referred to her as doctora. And I said, you know, listen, this is, this body is all, is all right. You don't need to, it already yeah. has a doctor. I don't yeah. need your diagnostics. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she, um, yeah, well, <laughs> she won that argument. I think I remember, I'll never forget it. I think if you don't mind me saying this. No, please say anything. We were sitting in this, because, you know, we had that ceremony at the, or the circling at the end. And um, I think you refer to it as the shit toilet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I was, a lot of people stood up that night and said, what an amazing journey they had. And they were a shot out to outer space and visiting with ancestors. And I, I was just looking around like, are you serious? I mean, am I the only one in here that was in this like shit toilet? It was the worst night of my life. Yeah, It was so hard. It's hard. And I really think you really explained it there. I think it is that ego death. It was definitely the ego, you know, because your mind is trying to, I don't need this. Like, I'm good. It comes in in different ways. And I find mm -hmm. it's because I had an experience on the second night quite similar. And it's actually only a couple of months later when I was looking back on it, I was like, oh, that's actually what was going on there. It was hard to understand what was happening at the time. I don't know if you found the mm -hmm. same thing, like after a few months, did you yes. kind of recognize, oh, that's what was going on there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. And the more work I do on myself, I feel like the more I am able to reap the benefits of what happened in that Maloka and it just keeps coming to me. And it, it's really just such an amazing experience. And, you know, when you describe it to someone, it's so hard for them to really understand, oh, what do you mean? You're vomiting and you're shitting with yeah. a group of people and you're seeing your like darkest days that you've ever had. And your ego is army crawling on the floor. Why would I ever not only sign up for that, but actually pay money yeah, to do it's that? Yeah, so true. It's but great. it's like, a, I feel like it's a part of your soul. Like, it's like, okay, you know, deep down you want to do this because you know, yes, mm -hmm. it's going to be difficult in that moment, but you know, you're going, it's going, you're going to reap the benefits afterwards. And, you know, I think, right. you know, looking back on it, you do, and you're able to, you know, I guess, laugh about it and see the funny stuff. Cause I know like the few days afterwards, like everyone's kind of talking about their experience and, you know, you're able to laugh at like, you know, I guess how funny some situations paid out. Cause it's just like mm -hmm. a brief moment, but when you're in it, it feels like it's like an eternity and you're like, I'm never going to get through this, mm -hmm. but 
right. you do and you burst through into like the next part of it and right it's I know exactly how you feel about it. it's hard to describe it it's more of like the feeling of it uh-huh yeah yeah I mean it's a movie of your mind it's a movie yeah. of your mind it really right? it's not really happening yeah but exactly. it's not happening in real time but a, a lot of I didn't have the experience where I relived a past trauma. I was thinking I might, yeah, but I did not have that experience. But that, you know, when that happens for people, that's obviously for some people that can be traumatizing to, yeah. and if you don't have that support of the shamans and then the, the, the community of people to talk with afterwards mm. and the classes that support you. And JJ was so helpful to me. You could just, I cried to him for, I don't even know. <laughs> how many hours just talking about, well, what does this mean? And what, you yeah. know, I also don't think that you should be in a rush to make sense of it all. Yeah. I think that things just come in time. And I just, I really think that these psychedelic experiences, whether it's ayahuasca, ketamine, uh, MDMA, or psilocybin, like Iboga, all these things, are like laying down these new tracks, like this mm -hmm. neuroplasticity is real. And it really allows you to see things from a different perspective. I mean, and I never thought that that would happen to me. I, I went to ayahuasca and I'm going to get personal here because I Why don't not? mind sharing this. <laughs> yeah. This is dope ass soul. So <laughs> I have had a lot of struggles growing up with my mom. And when I was a teenager, my mother was intimate with my best friend who happened to be an 18 year old boy, but I don't know if he was 17, if that would have made a difference. Yeah. And he was my very best friend. And I found them in a closet together at a party. Oh, wow. And so from that moment, my mom and I did not have a great relationship leading up to that. It's not like you have this ride or die mom who all of a sudden does something like that. That doesn't yeah. really happen usually. So we had a lot of struggles uh, leading up to that, but that was really kind of what blew me out of the water. And I just felt like I was completely unsupported um, as a kid and just mm -hmm. didn't have that mom presence, you know, with me. And so we've been back and forth over the course of my adult life, talking, not talking. I've it's always been a struggle for me. And after I had my own children, I decided like, listen, this is not, I can't, it just was so obvious to me how toxic that relationship was. And I could never imagine myself doing that to my own children. So I really just cut all ties. And I never, and my best friend that I had when I was 18, I also cut all ties with him when I was a teenager because I was so blindsided by how anyone could ever do that to me, yeah. let alone my best friend. Exactly. So I went to ayahuasca and I was thinking, you know, this big boulder that I carry around. Yeah can we just take a jackhammer to it? Like yeah. what, how do we get in there? Yeah. And it was interesting to me that it, my mom didn't really come up for me very much when I was there. And really? I was surprised by that. I had a little bit of my mom and the breath work. Yeah. I kind of saw her as a child and I saw her as a person with her own struggles. Yeah. And so I had some element of real forgiveness. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people think that forgiveness means that you have to, um, that you're going to welcome this person back into your yes life. yeah that's not right that's not what it means it means really kind of being okay in your own soul and self with what yeah. happens and knowing that that person 
carries their own life's traumas. And there's a reason why they did what they did. Exactly. Not justifying it, but just understanding. understanding. Yeah. Right. So that happened. And what's happened since I've, what happened to me recently was I think a direct response to the psychedelic work that I've done in myself. And recently, all of a sudden, in my, how it came to me was my, was my best friend when I was a teenager. And I started thinking about him out of nowhere. And, and what came to me was that um, he was a victim of my mom, like I was, mm. and he was a teenager. And I never spoke to him about it. And I never talked to him about how he hurt me and what that felt like. Yeah. And that, and that I'm able to now see him as, as a victim instead of someone out to get me and out to hurt me. And it wasn't justifying what he did. I thought it was, so I reached out to him Yeah. and he just, he just spent the weekend with my family after 20 something years. Wow. And, you know, I think that when you tell the story to someone, they might be like, Oh, really? Are you serious? Like, why would you ever, there was not one ounce of my soul that had any reservations about doing that. I was completely confident that this is what I needed to really move forward. Yeah. I felt like he made a huge fucking mistake. He was an 18 year old kid. Yeah. And you know, he, since, since reconnecting with him, he told me, he said, listen, he said that was the biggest mistake of his life, his biggest regret. Wow. And he's single and doesn't have any kids and feels like has been feeling like this is his punishment for what he wow. did. Yeah. So I tried to l- help him kind of unli- like lift that off yeah. him because that's not, I don't want him to feel like that. Yeah. But I feel like I have my, fr- my friend back, which is like just so wild. After and so I many feel years. like that's, yeah, after so many years, it's, I feel like that's how psychedelics work. They let you in yeah. to see something from the back door, from a side mm-hmm. window, from some other way. Another perspective. So yeah, do you feel if you hadn't, I guess, experimented with psychedelics or ayahuasca, you wouldn't have been able to see from another perspective? I don't see how I would have gotten there. I was so angry. Yeah. I was so angry. Like anger was my main part that I would show up with. Yeah. Anger and judgment. I mean, I showed up to Rhythmia wearing a vaxxed hat, <laughs> a vaxxed hat. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, now I wear a psilocybin hat. So that's, <laughs> I wish I had it It's like the ultimate metamorphosis of like. Yeah, I love that. You know, I mean, that was, it's true. I mean, and I, you know what, when I, I sat in that pool one day, I was wearing that vax hat. And then all of a sudden it came to me that I was like, this, I just stopped wearing it while I was there. I was like, this is not, this is too confrontational yeah. and weird. And like, just stop with the doctor thing and be more understanding of people. Yeah. Wow. I love, it's interesting to, to hear your story, how it's gone from, you know, that doctor, you're like having all the answers. I know everything to how you're now blending that with psychedelics. So like, yes, you still have the knowledge and like, you know, the facts and stuff, but you're also bringing in, you know, the psychedelic part, which is, you know, seeing things from a, I guess, a broader perspective, which is, I guess, a wider Mm -hmm. consciousness. So it's, 
interesting and really cool to see how you've evolved mm-hmm. actually in I suppose the last year because yeah it's been about a year nearly almost a year almost a year yeah it's really because what what I was leaving out of, of the equation and in, in my modern medicine little bubble that I was living in was the concept of the inner healer yeah there was not that was not a thing on my radar at all that mm-hmm. like we actually are born with this innate ability to heal ourselves and if you talk about that in medical school, that doesn't fly here in the United States. Um, that's yeah. a kind of a weird thing, but right, that's how psychedelics work is that they, I, I literally think of it as this, is that all of us carry around the saccharox. Yeah. Some of them have little pebbles and some of them have mega huge boulders in there, right? <laughs> And I think that psychedelics give you the key to opening mm. that sack. They don't take the shit out for you. Yeah. You have to do the work. You have to take it out, but it's the key to getting into that bag. Mm. And it's also important to understand that that bag is never going to be empty, yeah. right? But it could be lighter and you could just start, start checking things out of there yeah. and move through all of these things instead of just being weighted down and by all this crap that, this generational trauma all this shit that we've been carrying that's not even yours that's not even you know it's some of it is yours some of it's not yours but it's also you know you can put it down it doesn't have to come with you the whole way through your life yes it's there yes it's you know it might have tarnished you a little bit but it doesn't have to become you it doesn't have to be your like your personality you know yes it's happened to you but it's not who you are you know and I think, yeah, as you said, psychedelics is definitely the key, which can help you see it from a different perspective of understanding of compassion and, you know, just letting it down, I guess. Exactly. Beautiful. I love it. So tell me, <laughs> so I want to know, like in your journey with psychedelics, so was, when I talk about psychedelics, have you experimented with psilocybin, ketamine? Was it just ayahuasca? What has been your, I guess, your go-to with the one where you feel the most, I guess, expansive or most healing with? So because psilocybin is illegal, um, not allowed to really do psilocybin. Yeah. So I have, I, I know a lot about psilocybin and through this mm-hmm. course in, in, in the Integrative Institute of Psychiatry that I'm in in Boulder, we, they actually teach us about ketamine, MDMA and psilocybin assisted therapy. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so I, I am aware of an extensive underground community of providers and um, have been privy to a lot of that information and what goes on there. I've also luckily in my, in my, um, psychedelic assisted therapy course, we, they break us up into small groups and I got lucky enough to have in my small group, um, people who work with field trip. So field trip in in the Netherlands, they're allowed to legally do psilocybin. So I have an extensive amount of information through that. Um, but in my course uh, through Boulder, they allow us to do ketamine. So they provide us with ketamine. Okay. And I sense I've completely left the field of infectious disease. I do not go to the hospital anymore. Yeah. And now I'm actually sitting in my own ketamine practice right now. Amazing. Um, so I, <laughs> yeah, so I've been able to really uh, work with that medicine. 
I would prefer to work with all natural medicines. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that, I, I think that ketamine is the closest to psilocybin, ayahuasca, DMT, any of those things that we could use. So I'm more than happy to have my medical license and use that. Yeah. Um, it's been incredibly powerful for a lot of people. I've had young suicidal clients in here. And after the first dose, they're no longer suicidal, really helps with depression and anxiety. Well, so can you yeah, tell me, but as, can you talk me through just a little bit of how it works? If somebody was like, you know, I guess curious about ketamine is, do they mm -hmm. sign up? Is there a website? Do you go to their yeah. house or? So I, I do both in my office. I wish I could show you, I have a journey <laughs> space that it's not, this is not I have some medical degrees on the, in my office here, but yeah. my journey space is basically like, you don't know that you're in a medical office at okay, all. Yeah. There's a bed, a couch. I have yoga mats. I have an altar. Oh. I have a, you would, you would love that. I wish I could move my computer in there. <laughs> I have a huge cheetah mandala. Oh, wow. It's really amazing in there. A lot of plants and music and Copal and oh a lot God. of the, I have the Koshi bells from Rhythmia. Do you oh, remember do those you? bells that they came? Yeah, yeah. They're, I love them. Oh my God, I want to come um, over. Can I come you over? have to come over. It is so, it's such an amazing little space there. Um, yeah, clients love it. And whenever someone comes into that room, they just start talking. It just like starts yeah. coming out. <laughs> um, so, but I really tried to take what I could from my experience at Rhythmia while honoring the indigenous places yeah. that these things come from yeah. and not, you know, kind of claiming them as my own. I think it's yeah. really important to honor the medicine and where the things come from. It's a little bit weird with ketamine and that yeah. is made in a laboratory and you like, if you, you have it on like a special tray, I don't, I don't know, really, I kind of struggle with how to do that part of it, but, um, but yeah, so I, I have a, my practice is called Open Mind Space. So my yeah. website is openmindspace.guru. And I have clients who come locally and also from out of state. And uh, what we do with ketamine is we do six sessions. So each session is about an hour and 15 minutes. And um, after those six sessions, some clients don't need to come back ever again. And some come once a month. It's completely an individualized uh, situation. So what happens is the client, first we meet and we develop a relationship. I don't think that anyone should do ketamine where they don't know the provider. Uh, I think it's important to have that connection. Yeah. There are a lot of places around where I live and also popping up all over the country where there's a ketamine clinic. So what happens in those environments is someone just shows up, they do an intake, they say that you're safe for ketamine, they put you in a room by yourself, give you ketamine and leave you alone. Oh my gosh. That is not how I was trained to provide ketamine. Yeah. I, for my clients, I, we do an hour to a two hour long intake, establish the relationship. I give them a lot of reading material. I'm available for any kind of questions. We do some preparation stuff and then they come in for their visit and I provide them with ketamine intramuscularly. It's just an injection. It works within three to five minutes. It comes on. Yeah. And I stay the whole time and I hold space for them. Yeah. I don't interject and talk all the time. Yeah. Someone actually just uh, someone actually just taught me something really cool that I'd love to share. It's called the the weight principle. W a i t. Yeah. And it stands for what? Why am I talking? Oh, interesting. That's something that psychedelic providers are supposed to ask themselves mm. because you don't want to 
interfere with that inner healer. The inner healer knows what's best. Mm. So sometimes as a provider, if a client on ketamine or any psychedelic is really struggling, we want to go in and help and rescue. Yeah. But in the psychedelic space, there's a very specific time for that. And it's really your own intuition. And also really, you just, it's a very, not everyone can do this work. I feel very yeah. strongly about that. Mm. But I, th- I think that if you are an empathetic human and know when to shut your mouth, <laughs> then you could really hold that space for them. Yeah. Um, there are times when you want to interject if someone's hyperventilating and yeah, to get course. themselves into a dangerous space um, or they seem stuck. There's some things that you can help them work through. Ego dissolutions can be very scary for people. So some grounding techniques, reminding them that they're safe, the comforting voice, those types of things. Yeah. Um, so then they're, they're usually here with me for about an hour and people ask, well, what happens during the ketamine journey? It's really anything is possible. You yeah. could have uh, the most amazing experience where you see Jesus yeah. and, or you're crying and you reconnect with your mother who has passed away, or you relive a past trauma, um, or you just see colors and some things that maybe don't make sense that in, ineffability is a real phenomenon. People are kind yeah. of don't know really what all that means. And it's really hard to describe. And I often just tell clients, some clients kind of get confused about, well, what the hell is this meaning? And I just, just observe yeah. you're there on a mission to learn what you can gather up the information and you'll process it later in an integration session, which doesn't happen with me, Yeah. but I only work with people who have therapists. So okay, yeah. because the integration side of all psychedelic work is just as important as the medicine session, if not more important. Because if you, you know, when we have these big experiences, it's really important to be able to integrate that into your life and not just be kind of stuck. Um, Otherwise, it could be a wasted experience. Yeah. So, yeah, in in those ketamine spaces, just like Aya and just like with any other psychedelic, you really don't, you have to kind of just be prepared for anything to come up. Clients could be crying. They could be screaming, kicking, punching. Um, but most of the time it's really calm and they're actually kind of moving their hands around and experiencing colors and synesthesia where you, yeah. Do you have music playing? I do. I'm there. So, (laughs) so my Rhythmia music has kept me, um, so in touch with Rhythmia. I listen to it every single day. And not only that, I was very, when I left Rhythmia, I was like, listen, I need to make sure that I do not ever forget this experience yeah. ever. Yeah. So I, I have a, I st- this is, this is my Rhythmia. I love it. I didn't go, I didn't go as far as write the name on yeah, it. Yeah, I'm like, where's the, you're this, missing this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is my Rhythmia tattoo. And then this is my, these are my spirit guides. My I snake love this and a condor. Yeah. And I was, I was a, I didn't believe in any, that was a hard blur, hardcore, <laughs> full-blown, like Richard Dotkins, atheist, when you're dead, you're dead. Lights out. Nothing good is happening. Spirit guys, you're an idiot. All I was yeah. really judgy and really a rough person. I don't know how I really got through my life. Actually, I was really, I was really. <laughs> well, you have. But this is so much better. Yeah, you seem to have burst through it, and now you're doing what it looks like. You looks like you're glowing, and it's like well, you're you're doing, you know, what you love, and it seems sometimes 
you know, we're kind of on that path of like, what am I doing? How am I doing it? And then you have this experience with sometimes you can't make sense of it during it, but it's in the months afterwards. And then before you know it, you look back and you're like, oh, how much you've changed and like how much the journey has evolved and how much you've grown. And it's like all of that in the past needed to happen in order for you to get exactly where you are now and doing exactly, exactly. what you're doing. You know, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I actually, oh, I love your journey. It's such a, such a eye-opening I suppose experience of how you can be like on this path and you can have like no belief and no interest in it and then it just takes sometimes just a little bit of interest and or just something to Mm -hmm. happen in your life to just topple and then you're like okay let me just try something else let me just see if something Mm -hmm. else is is there more out there is there something else you know and then it just opens up a whole new world and you're like whoa Mm -hmm. like well it's it's almost so scary to think about having not taken that jump, right? Like what, right? Like where would we have been? Where would we be if we didn't do that? And how sad of an existence is that, right? To just be giving in to all your ego and all your protectors and all the parts of you that are working to just keep you kind of in this baseline status where if you just tap into the root of your issues, you can push all that away and really, live yeah it's so true and even though it's terrifying at the because I know I was like I was terrified I really didn't know what I was doing how it was going to work out and I mean I still I feel like my path is definitely like I still don't really know how it's going to pan out but I definitely know I'm moving into this world slowly and I know when I did ayahuasca for the first time like I actually burst into tears because I was like this is what I've been looking for I was like this feeling mm. of this like deep deep like connection to something bigger and greater like I've always believed in that but I Mm -hmm. I guess I always never had that like one-on-one connection with it like yeah I was into Mm -hmm. like spirit guides and stuff I was that person (laughs) person. (laughs) but I was like oh I I couldn't like touch it or I couldn't like feel it and then the Mm -hmm. minute I had the ayahuasca I was like this is it I was like this is Mm -hmm. what I've been like you know I guess looking Mm -hmm. for searching for um which was really cool because I was like I knew it I was like I knew it that's so great you seemed like you completely had it under control there it was so when you say you were afraid like that that did not register here (laughs) because you look like you were totally like navigating that whole thing and I mean there were people there that were really having a really hard time and you did not seem like one of them at all you seem like you got it completely from the beginning it was weird because I I was shocked because I thought I was going to struggle and then I think it was the third night it was the divine feminine night I was like Mm -hmm. because I had a rough night the Tuesday night and I was like you know what I'm gonna go in there tonight and just really surrender and trust and honestly the medicine was just moving through my body and I was just dancing and I was like, mm-hmm. this is home. Like, this is home for me. It's mm-hmm. like dancing and moving. And I remember I was like, just moving the energy with my hands. And I actually wanted to cry because it was so beautiful how the space was being held. And I was like, why was I so scared? I was like, of this. I was like, Emma, remember, like, I guess I was being hard on myself. I, I guess I didn't think I was, I don't know. I thought I had to go through all of these really difficult things where it was like, all I had mm-hmm. to do was just I guess believe in myself that you can do it you know and I think that was mm-hmm. one of the breakthroughs for me was like all you have to do is just believe in yourself Emma and you can you can do it 
Right. Yeah, I'm with you. That divine that divine feminine night was my night as well. Yeah. And uh yeah, the first night was really rough. Second night, I asked her show me how to trust you. Yeah. And she was gentle on me and I I actually felt that night and this might seem so insensitive to people who really don't have parents. But to me, I felt like I could never be an orphan. Yeah. Like I just had that like yeah, it's the earth. It's 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 mother ayahuasca. And it is the earth who you are a child of. Yeah. And that will never go away as long as the earth is here and we exist. So it's I did. I felt like I didn't need my mom. I didn't yes. need my dad. You know, I was just OK. Really, that happened like, Tuesday night. Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's like this deeper connection to this, the greater mother, I guess. And it's like, yeah it's there it's real and it's so you're so protected you are so loved and it is mm-hmm. a feeling that is just so incredible it's oh I don't know I actually like I remember I got to do it again in Bali um ayahuasca and I remember I was mm-hmm. going to go to the ceremony and I had like an hour to pack my bags and I remember I put on my playlist the ayahuasca playlist and I was going up on my scooter and I was just like I'm so happy I was like I'm so excited I was like I can't believe this is happening again I felt like I was going home I was like I know exactly uh-huh. what's gonna happen uh-huh. like I'm not scared it's all good <laughs> yeah that's amazing I go back to Rhythmia in June oh wait are it's you going women's back? week it's women's week so it's oh, wow. only women June 4th and um, I'm actually going with my mentor here in Denver, who is um, in my psychedelic therapy course. She's a psychiatrist and therapist and has been a huge resource for me and just a friend. And yeah. to have her in that space is so amazing. I really I can't wait. I, I feel like the roof is going to blow off that Maloko yeah, when all of be- like the, that female energy yeah. in this space. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm going to be gonna, I'm going to have to check in with you after that, because that, yeah. I'd say that's going to be amazing I cannot wait I just feel like when you like well, you said like I feel like I'm going home yeah it's like it's a ooh. real because I think yeah. that I think the second time around when you do it um you you're you know what to kind of expect you know you're not as nervous and right you're, you're kind of like okay I know when it's going to kick in I know what to expect I, I right. don't really kind of control it but I think a women's week is going to be definitely <laughs> yeah power I, to I, I the women it, Right. I think that also after coming back, I think it's, it would be a very rare event for someone to come back from an ayahuasca retreat and not do like further work on themselves. So I feel like having gone already and continuing to do, I do regular uh, internal family systems therapy with my um, IFS therapist, which mm-hmm. is, it is psychedelic in and of itself. It is yeah. the most amazing therapeutic model I've ever, ever been privy to be a client of. It's wildly it is psychedelic and how does it um, work so internal family systems is basically so your internal your so your external family is your fa- your family outside of yourself yeah but you have an internal family that is made up of parts of you so in ifs you have what's called yourself with a capital s that's your your soul your true who you really are and there's eight characteristics that define self i can never think of all of them but they all be with the letter c They're calm, clear, connected, creative, courageous, confident, those types of really who you want, who you really want to be. Right. So that's how, you know, you're kind of in self mode when those characteristics are at the forefront of your, who you are. We also have parts of us that have developed at various times in our life, uh, 
usually around some sort of big life event, a trauma, some, some sort. Um, my, some of my parts are, I have a perfectionist part. I have a doctor part. I have a yeah. storyteller part that loves to like tell my story and get yeah. people's like validation, yeah. um, attention and seeking parts, uh, sexually curious, dark part. There's a lot yeah. of parts in there and we all have them. Yeah. And some of them actually, for me, I had a part of me that was actually formed at conception. Yeah. Um, and that came out in some psychedelic sessions that I've done. But uh, the idea is that there's, so the, the person who invented this therapeutic model, his name is Dick Schwartz. Yeah. And he, this has been around since the eighties and it's getting a resurgence because it goes so well with psychedelics. It's unbelievable. It's almost like psychedelics give your parts a microphone because these parts oh, wow. of you, and he, Dick Schwartz just wrote a book called No Bad Parts. And that's, it's true because all of these parts have been working so hard their whole lives to keep you okay. That's yeah. their, their goal. And sometimes you have parts of parts that don't agree, but mm. they have a common goal of still keeping you okay and safe and calm and uh, happy um, and not feeling any kind of pain. So the idea though, is that I often think of it as kind of like an orchestra where the conductor is self and all the parts are the players in the orchestra. And yeah. you wanna hear from them. You wanna hear them because mm -hmm. they've been working hard for you, but you don't want them to push the conductor out of the way and start taking over. Yeah. Right? You don't, it's similar to, it is the movie Inside Out. Have you seen that movie? Yes, yes, I love that movie. That's it. So that's what we all have inside of us. Yeah. And um, when you can actually work with your parts and learn, where, learn from them and listen to them and where they came from, you can learn so much about yourself and how to navigate your, your life and not to have them taking over. I mean, cause you could feel yeah. and you could see in other people what, what parts are, are, are driving, driving the car, right? Yeah. You can see, you know, when someone is on the news screaming about something crazy, that's not self. Yeah. That is a part of them that is all of a sudden in the driver's seat and is taking over. Um, but yeah, parts can do uh, detrimental things, right? Yeah. Bulimi bulimics, that's a, that's a part, suicidal parts, mm. right? I so love that important. concept of how it's like different parts because it's not who you are. It's like just a part mm. of, I guess right. it's out of balance or would you say out of balance? Yeah. How would you put it? I would say that it can get out of balance. Yeah. It can, I, I off, yeah, I, it can get out of balance. I think it's important it's also important for the parts to trust self mm. because if you don't talk to them and you don't access them and hear from them, they don't, they kind of look at you like, well, where the hell have you been? Yeah. You have, you've left me here. You know, parts can get stuck in places Yeah. and advanced IFS therapists can actually unburden um, what we call exile parts, parts that live somewhere else. I have, I had a, for instance, I had a part of me that was six-year-old kid living on the floor of my parents' childhood home, a kid that needed attention and was mm. like so neglected. And what happens in IFS therapy is you close your eyes and they say, go inside. And like, we're gonna, we're gonna find that part. Where does it live inside of your body? Mm. What does it need from you? And then yourself comforts that part and says, I'm here. So you basically are parenting your own yeah. inner child, right? So I'm here. And then sometimes your part will say, well, where the hell have you been all this time? Yeah. How am I going to trust you? 
And sometimes they just are just want you to hold them and pick them up. And experienced IFS therapists can actually help you unburden that exile part that's stuck somewhere. And they could, you ask it, uh, where would, would you like to be doing something else? Yeah. Would, where would you like to be? And some parts go and like ride bikes and some parts, for instance, this exile child mm. now lives in my house in my kid's fourth bunk bed. So yeah. it's such an amazing, and I'm probably not really doing it any justice. No, just, I'm really actually um, resonating. It's reminding me of two things, actually. Um, I don't know if you've heard of soul retrieval. I have, I have. So it kind of, of reminds me of soul retrieval because I did a soul retrieval last year um, with the shaman and he said he had to go back and get two parts of me that were lost. And one of them was actually okay. three-year-old Emma. And he said, she loved to sing. And I was, I just burst into tears because I was like, I used mm -hmm. to sing all the time when I was younger. Like my mom used to say that mm -hmm. I used to wake up in the morning and sing in my cot. Like I wouldn't cry. Mm. She said I was the happiest baby. And he said yeah. that he had to go back and bring that. He had to sing to her. And I remember uh -huh. just crying because I was like, I, I don't sing anymore. I was like, I haven't sang in ages. I was like, I don't even know when it stopped. And then uh -huh. it's actually only recently, I think I went through a bit of a throat activation and I have just started singing again. And I'm like, that's a part of me that I'm like, it's slowly coming back. And it's like that inner child of like, okay, Emma, we're going to do things that are going to make you sing and make you happy. And like, you know, do the dancing mm -hmm. and all those things that you used to do when you're younger. So it kind of reminds you of the soul retrieval. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I get that completely. That's and a did, beautiful story. <laughs> I actually, mm -hmm. it's funny because my mom used to say it to me all the time when I was a teenager, she's like, you're such a happy baby. Why are you not happy? <laughs> I'm like, because I'm a teenager. Um, but <laughs> I kind of just stopped singing, but it's only recently. And my younger sister, Kate, she's um, 11. And she heard me sing recently, a couple of months ago. She's like, Emma, wow, you can sing. And I was like, I kind of can. I was like, I just kind of forgotten how to sing. So it's a nice part of me that I really have forgotten that I'm really just yeah. trying to like, Yes, it doesn't sound amazing, but I'm like, it actually makes me so happy just to like belt out. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. That's so great. It's like, it's I the self. That. It's the self that's like really mm -hmm. there is like when I'm singing, yeah. it's like in the just not even yeah. thinking about what it sounds like, just singing because that's like, I guess, who I yeah. am. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's so great. So yeah, yeah. it's amazing. I love the idea that you're doing that therapy with the psychedelic work because it's I guess as you said it's very important to have two working with each other rather than just doing psychedelics and not doing the integration and not understanding um is are you doing are you doing that therapy yourself or are you going to uh that therapy so I have an IFS therapist that I work with okay. and also sometimes with my clients I, I've done some IFS coaching courses I am not a therapist so I like yeah. to set that um understanding up with with my clients but yeah. I we we will do some basic parts work really yeah. just kind of identifying them and, and talking about them um but I refer everyone I know to my IFS therapist I mean, I don't know, like, James Gloria. he's in Denver <laughs> yeah we'll definitely put that one okay. in the show notes because I think that could be very beneficial to a lot of people for sure helping yeah, you understand really that self so helpful so I feel, where do you think like psychedelics have their place in therapy in the future? Do you think it is definitely something people should be looking into if they're curious? Definitely. I think that 
the routine medications that we have for people who have depression and anxiety and OCD, PTSD, suicidality, uh, the majority of the time they don't work. Mm. And what also people don't understand is that when you use those medicines, um, there was a recent study that came out. I don't exactly know the journal that it was in, but it showed that people who have tried uh, SSRIs uh, and failed those were also were less likely to benefit from uh, MDMA therapy. Mm. So the question is, is what are those medicines? Is it the medicines that are getting in the way of the person benefiting from that therapy? And if so, yeah. then that's really scary. Then that's really scary, mm. right? Because right now, ketamine is not FDA approved um, as a first line therapeutic agent for people with mental illness. You have to fail at least, I think, two regimens to then be uh, get FDA approved ketamine. We use ketamine off-label all the time, so it's yeah. not that big of a deal, but it probably uh, impacts whether or not insurance might cover it for someone. Yeah. Um, but you know, the ketamine works and these MDMA works and yeah. psilocybin works, right? Yeah. So all of these medicines work. So yeah. there's an issue with drug patents and big pharma has to get in there and get control over it before it's widespread legal. So they have control over the whole thing. Yeah. It's obviously incredibly sad and ridiculous. Uh, that's why you have a ton of underground providers who yeah. don't give a shit and they are willing to risk their license and their livelihood because mm. of the, the, the movement and because they know that these medicines work for people and they feel a moral obligation to not withhold them from clients. Yeah. So can wow. uh, you know, ketamine's legal now and it's a, it's a schedule three medicines. Um, and then MDMA is going to be next. And then yep. psilocybin is going to be next. But what's going to happen with psilocybin is probably similar to what happened with marijuana is that it's going to be very restricted initially to medicinal only. Yeah. And then we hope uh, that recreationally that that will be legalized. Because I mean, look, if you look at what we're allowed to do, yeah. right, we're allowed to drink alcohol, yeah. right? That literally kills us. It is a poison, right? Yeah. But there's so much money behind it. I mean, but you can't eat a mushroom that's growing in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? But what? Who are you to tell me I can't eat that mushroom growing in my backyard? It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Who are you to tell me that ayahuasca, we we can't drink a vine at like and at a, leaf? And a, and a, right, like to get what? Because because what it's gonna it's gonna allow me to work on my real shit. Yeah. I'm not allowed to do that. Right? Yeah. It's like we it, there's something in our society that is preventing us. It's almost like our society has parts yes. and there are parts of our society that are in the way of a, a communal healing mm -hmm. because they're afraid of what's going to come out. Yeah. But, you know, people who work with psychedelics know that whatever comes out is way better than how we've been living. Exactly. That's all protected and covered up with alcohol and shit. So true. As so, so, so true. I love how you just like beautifully brought that together. That is, yeah. yeah that came from like deep in there. That's probably <laughs> I can like feel it. Some neuroplasticity. That's definitely like some sort of sequelae of like neuroplasticity. That comment. <laughs> no, I could feel that. I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. So I guess moving away from, um, I guess it's like, psychedelics I uh, just want to ask you one question before we go um what has been your most memorable experience most profound experience that you've had 
Hmm. It's definitely my experience at Rhythmia for sure, hands down, and it blows anything out of the water. And if I had to kind of, oh, this is it. Okay. <laughs> So when I was at Rhythmia, I don't know if you were able to have a surgery. I didn't. Surgery? I never got, I think I did. I felt a little vibration, but I'm not sure what was happening. I did not think I was going to have a surgery because I was so blocked off to anything like that. I was kind of like, this is stuff. It's crazy. These people are having surgeries. I don't know what's yeah. going on. And it was, it was the divine feminine night. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there with my mouth open, like I'm in a dentist's chair. And the robots are tinkering and working on my teeth. And I didn't really know what they were doing. And then all of a sudden, Mother Ayahuasca herself comes over to me in her feminine snake form, Ooh. cracks open my chest and is removing my control centers because that was what I was carrying around. Like mm -hmm. I had to control every little thing around me. And then she moved from my chest to my brain. And her, she let me assist her in the surgery of removing my control centers from my brain. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Wow. I, I, I often think about, you know, when you go to a doctor's office and they ask you to write down the surgeries that you've had. Yeah. And I'm so tempted to say <laughs> that I had a controlectomy by mother ayahuasca. <laughs> They'd probably put me somewhere, but I mean, I think we should start talking about the. Yeah, let's start talking about the real surgery. <laughs> That's a real surgery. Amazing. Best I love it. Well, Dana, thank you so, so, so much mm -hmm. for your time and your wisdom you. and everything that you're doing. I am so excited to share what you're up to with everyone that's listening to this podcast and anyone that's in Colorado and anyone that's in America, because I think what you're doing is so cool and it's so profound and very healing. So thank you. Thank you. So well, much. I feel the same about you and everything <laughs> that you are doing. You are amazing and i have adored you from the moment i met you and anytime you're in colorado you always have a place to stay with me so thank you i could yeah. talk to you forever so yes <laughs> same i know <laughs> so that is it for today's episode i just love how dana shares so openly and honestly and how she merges the ancient wisdom of ayahuasca and the modern psychedelic world beautifully together in helping people unlock and unraveling areas that need to be healed in coming back home to your true self. So if you want to reach out, you can find all info on openmindspacecolorado.com.au and also on Instagram, you can reach out. It is openmindspacecolorado. Thank you so much again for listening on this episode. I hope you found today's episode useful. If you feel called to reach out, either myself or Dana, please do. And if you like this episode, please let me know. Follow on Instagram at Souls. Please leave a review, subscribe to the channel. And that is it for this week. Have a beautiful weekend and I will see you in the next one. Welcome back to the Dope Ass Souls podcast. I'm your host, Emma Murphy. And after a two month little break, I'm back and I'm ready to share what's been going on from doing Cambo in the Azores to synchronicities, to letting go and to having trust in the unseen, even when it scares you 
absolutely shitless. So yeah, I hope everybody has been well and enjoying their life. And yeah, let's get into this episode. I will see you on the inside. <laughs> 